0: We're going to be reading Judges chapter 15 this morning. And that's where the account of Samson, the last judge, in the book of Judges, continues. Um, I'm going to back up just a couple verses to remind us all where we were a couple of weeks ago. Samson had insisted on marrying a Philistine girl against the wishes of his family, against God's wishes, because the Philistines were unbelievers. They married. He told a riddle and made a bet with the 30 groomsmen. She got to the answer of that riddle, betrayed Samson to her people. Um, He was very angry about this, And so angry with her that we read at the end of 14, burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. So he didn't stay with the wife he just married. And then Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. And apparently Samson didn't know this because here we start uh, at chapter 15. Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. So he didn't know about this. He didn't bring chocolates. didn't bring a bouquet of flowers. A young goat went to visit his wife. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines, and I will really harm them. And so, crazy stuff here. He went out, he caught 300 foxes. Could have been jackals who tend to run in packs more than foxes. Uh, It's kind of a similar word in Hebrew. Foxes and jackals had long tails, So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. And when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. And then so the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. And then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah... Spreading out near Lehi. And the men of Judah, that's one of the tribes of Israel, asked, Why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. And then three thousand men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Atom, and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? And he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. And they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. And so they bound him with two new ropes. We think that's mentioned just to emphasize that these were good ropes. These were strong ropes. And they led him up from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and it being fresh would mean either the teeth were still in that jawbone, so they'd be very sharp or fresh, just meaning this is still a really strong jawbone. It has not decayed. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And then Samson said, With the donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With the donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And when he had finished speaking... He threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakorah, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Life in the Bible, friends, is often referred to as a walk. And the Bible says you can walk in the light or you can walk in the darkness. You can walk the narrow road that leads to life or the broad road that leads to destruction. My family and I uh, went up to northern Wisconsin last weekend uh, for the very first time in the winter. And, and it was just beautiful, like, like a whole other world with these snow covered pine trees and lakes, uh, but also a little hostile land uh, with that bitter cold. Um, I'm not sure Sarah, who grew up in Michigan, uh, would have considered it hostile, but a little bit for me. I grew up, for the most part, in milder climates. Um, But whether it was driving up there in the dark at nighttime on the roads or in the daytime following the lead snowmobile, it was really important to stay on the right path. Um, Thankfully, we were with friends who knew the region and knew what they were doing, and everything was just fine. It was wonderful. Samson does a lot of walking around in this chapter and in the one we read before, chapter 14. And it's by far mostly walking around in the wrong places, on the wrong path. The start of the two different walks or paths in life goes back to almost the beginning, to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3.15. And we might call what we read in Genesis 3.15 the original fork in the road. And it starts there when God says to the serpent, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Two ways, two roads, two choices, two lines, two destinations. And they're not compatible. The seed of, of the serpent, those who oppose God, and the seed of the woman, all who put their trust in God. It, those last couple verses I read in chapter 14 and also in 15, uh, there, there's, there's th- the threat of burning. There's a lot about fire. You notice that? There's the threat of burning earlier in 14. Samson burns with anger. There's actual burning of people, of animals, of crops. The ropes on Samson's arms burn and fall off. What is going on with all that? Well, we know that the Bible tells us hell is a place of fire, right? And everlasting destruction, The path of the seed of the serpent, that broad path, the dark path, is leading to that eternal punishment. Picture, bear with me just a moment, and picture uh, an old, and, and if you're younger, you might not have even seen these, but most of us probably have, and you could find these online, maybe on TV, an old wily Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoon. You know how those goes? The coyote's always trying to get the Roadrunner. But he never does. The Wile E. Coyote never wins. His weapons of choice are anvils and sticks of dynamite. But he never gets that that Roadrunner. Sometimes the fuse for the dynamite that he lays to trap and blow up the Roadrunner, is a really, really long fuse, right? When sin came into the world at the fall, we might say that a very long fuse was lit of sin and disobedience, and that fuse burns all through history. And the Bible says that at the end of time, that path will end in the lake of fire, and God will defeat his enemies. Our verses are showing a major problem. They're showing us God's people walking on the wrong path. Worse than that, Samson is. And as a judge, and as a Nazarite, remember that? His standard was to be higher. His call was to know and to teach what the people had of God's word, which was, I think at that time, probably just the five books of Moses, the first five books of our Bible. And he was to be pointing people to the word of God with his lifestyle and how he lived. But, But Samson Was not doing either of those things. He wasn't teaching God's word. He wasn't exemplifying God's word. But of course, we think of Samson and what he was doing, God's people at that time. uh, We're no better. We walk down that wrong path, we sin. Fire can look so attractive that we get drawn to it. But we know from experience, every time we do, we get burned. And that happens when we get too close to the world. And when we buddy up with a culture that is not walking in the light. Uh, There are a couple examples of how that happens in our verses. Uh, We see uh, this revenge and payback, right? Samson Gets at the Philistines, the Philistines get back at Samson, Samson gets back at the Philistines. It, it's, a, it's a totally a revenge and payback culture. Someone hurts me, I got every right to hurt them back and get them good. And that was not how God wanted his people to live. He wants us then and now to forgive to seek restoration wherever that's possible. In the covenant book where God gave his people direction, God says in Deuteronomy thirty-two thirty-five, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Samson had no business doing what he did, punishing. It was a personal vendetta. It was not God's will. God says no to that. But Samson was walking around and and hanging around the Philistines. And so, of course, he started living like them. The other thing we see here in terms of uh, living like the world, um, there's this really odd stuff, right, going on with nature. Like, what is that about? Those poor foxes. It's just a horrific scene um, earlier, that tearing apart of a lion, using a jawbone of a donkey to kill the destruction of these crops. And what, it, what it's like is, is like the cultural mandate, and I'll explain what that is, the cultural mandate has been turned upside down. In the beginning, God gave people A mandate, direction, right, to rule over his creation, to care for it, not destroy it. And the book of the law said, even in wartime, you don't destroy the trees. And yet, Samson burns the trees, he burns the crops, he burns the vineyards, which would cause a food shortage, even against the very worst of God's enemies, and and God called Israel to fight the enemies in Old Testament times, right? But even against the very worst of enemies, God didn't want his people to do that because we're called to care for creation. Samson and all God's people then were playing so much with the fire, they were so often on the wrong path, that there was a real possibility of them losing their way altogether. They, they didn't even recognize the threat of living with godless Philistine people. They wanted to keep peace with them, uh, to the extent that we read that the men of the tribe of Judah come out to Samson and hand him over to the enemy. They're like, don't you realize that the Philistines are in charge of us? Why are you stirring up trouble? God's people were called to resist God's enemies, resist the world. But there's none of that resistance here. They've just given up. They've given in. There's no fight against evil left in them. God had established enmity between the two lines, the seed of the woman and the serpent. And Israel has forgotten that. And when, when you do that, uh, when you cozy up to the world for too long, what's going to happen is you're going to get lulled to sleep. And you're going to miss the danger of walking on that path walking along the fuse. And I think of us today and how we can do this when, when we uncritically go right along with the culture and their gods of power and pleasure, the gods of success and sports. Uh, fitness has become a god and fashion and beauty and our wealth and our health when we uncritically latch on to those things and make them gods in our life, we're playing with fire. How about you today? Where are you dancing along the fuse? God then sometimes in our sort of lethargy allows stuff to happen to wake up his people. I think, was it a month ago or or three weeks ago when that New York State late-term abortion law was reported in the news? And Sarah and I read it, and we were just horrified. And I know as Christians, we all were. But, But God will use those sorts of things to jolt his people, to wake us up. Hey, guess what? Christians, the world is not your friend. There's a difference, a stark difference between God's values and therefore your values and the world's. Don't forget it. Wake up. God needed his people to realize that about the Philistines because they were putting up no resistance to sin. In fact, they were on track to be totally assimilated into that pagan, godless, wicked culture. Uh, The line of the woman, which was going to lead to Jesus' coming, was in danger of being wiped out completely. In a generation, maybe two, Israel would have been totally swallowed up by the Philistine people and culture and values god's people would have been gone and so these were very desperate times desperate times for god's children but thankfully in desperate times you know what god goes to work and at the end of the chapter we read about the spirit of the lord for the first time in these verses he comes in with the solution and we need him to do that every bit as much in our lives. When, when, when you or I wake up one day and find ourselves, our household, our family, our churches, perhaps getting too cozy with the world. And we can go so far down that path uh, that, that we can be in danger of not finding our way back to God's path. But God. And those are maybe the most comforting words in all the Bible, but God. Uh, We get them in a number of places. Uh, One is Ephesians 2. Listen to this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here at the end of of chapter 15 is one of those but God moments. All of this, after all that we read, God's Spirit comes in. And He comes in to do two things. One, to spark us to resist the enemy to spark us to see the difference between God's ways and the world ways when we forget. Uh, he, he wakes us up so we resist when we've been asleep, when we've been giving in. And, and, and this spark of the Spirit, it makes us watch where we walk. The Spirit makes us run away from that fuse, going to destruction, every bit as much as when... Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. Remember that? He did not play with that. He did not mess around with that. And and this is why the Spirit incites Samson to battle the enemy. And that was to inspire all God's people uh, to wake up and to stop dancing with the devil. The Spirit does one other thing besides sparking us to resist. He also sparks us to drink from the living water. He invites us to do that. After the battle, and uh, did you catch this pretty prideful victory song of Samson? Did you catch no reference to God at all, even though it's his spirit who gave Samson strength? We read at the end, after that song, that he is parched. He's very weak. And, and suddenly, mighty Samson appears very small. And he realizes it. And he prays to God. He calls out to God in the midst of feeling weak for the very first time that we read of. In this instance, at the end of chapter 15, we see Samson at his very best. We're mostly seeing him at his worst because he's mostly worst but we see him at his very best he's realizing here that he's an instrument of God that he's very weak on his own and that he needs to put his trust in the Lord realizing that it's not a perfect prayer or anything It seems a little demanding, like he was with his parents, but I think it's just an honest prayer. God, I need help. He's calling out to God to trust in him, and God answers his prayer. God supplies the water from a rock. It revives his servant, Samson. Do you know that you and I, that we're at our best in that situation too? When we realize all of what Samson has just come to realize, that uh, we can't handle our lives on our own, whatever stuff we got to deal with. We cannot handle it on our own. We're not in charge. We're not in control. We're very small. We're very weak. We're at our best when, when we humbly realize that, but also when we realize that that Christ is the rock who opens up to supply all of our needs. If that one fork in the road that we are talking about is a long fuse to destruction, the other fork, the other path, the other choice you have in life is to follow the river of God. And this river pours out uh, from the cross. It pours out from Calvary's mount. And it leads to the city of God all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. Psalm 46 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God's Son, Jesus, who would be able to come, after all, in the fullness of time because God intervened here and prevented his people from getting totally assimilated and burned up by the world, God's son Jesus would be called the living water. And he said that anyone who would come to him would never get thirsty again because of his death and his resurrection. And so when we've done that, when, when we've when we drink from the living water, go to Jesus, the Spirit, you know what he does? He more and more takes away our desire to play with fire. He gives us more and more desire to keep our feet on the right path. And for the times that we do get too close to the fire and we get burned, guess what? His blood washes us clean. And you can experience his forgiveness and closeness of a relationship with him again, which when that happens, you know, that makes us in the future want to watch our steps even better out of thankfulness because he's so gracious and merciful. And so by God's spirit, all God's people, uh, the whole family of God, I, I think of of, of our church and, and boys and girls and men and women, so many different talents and gifts. I you know, I think of each one of us here today, by the spirit we can walk all our days along that luscious, glorious river of life. By his spirit, we can walk that path of obedience. By his spirit, we can ourselves beyond the highway to heaven that road of loving service that we heard yet again about in that Honduras r- report it's it, it's a it's a boulevard where you can lay down all your burdens and it's a street where you can even experience healing and suffering in your life and it's not that path is not to isolate ourselves from the world and to walk along the path of like, nah, 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 we're going to heaven. You're not. But the point is not to be isolated, not to cloister ourselves like we're monks or something in castles, but to be in the secure place, to be in the right place, to engage the world, to make a difference there, to share the waters of life, to reach those here in God's family among us and beyond who are walking along that fuse and call them back from the edge. We are... We're planning to celebrate communion next Sunday morning. And really, this, this whole, this is a big preparation. This whole sermon is, in a sense, our preparation for communion next week. And, and so I, I want you, you know, the Bible talks about examining ourselves. And I think the, this Bible passage really invites us to examine ourselves as we think ahead to the Lord's Supper. One, uh, watch, watch where you walk. Be sure you're drinking from uh, the living water. Uh, so if you could, even as we pray, maybe I'll leave just a little bit of silence even this morning for you know, thinking about that big question of the text. Watch where you're walking. Where, where are you dancing along that fuse and playing with fire? Ask God to get you off of there because you're going to get burned. And drink freely from the living water. That's how you get on track again. And he, he loves to fill us when we call to him in our great need. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, thank you that even in these uh, challenging times uh, for your people, in this time of disobedience, this dark time, there is a tremendous uh, silver lining as we've been seeing all along in Judges. Oh, God, it's the silver lining of your Spirit it's uh, the, the silver lining of you stepping in when we've blown it. Thank you so much that you have done that, that you have sent your Son. And oh God, we, we, we turn to you again. Ignite in us a, a, a desire to uh, resist Anything and anyone that goes against your word. And help us, oh God, to find a rest and refreshment along the river of life all our days until uh, we're called home to be with you. And in the meantime, help us uh, to engage your world, to share these life-giving and life-refreshing waters, uh, to a world who needs them, to individuals who need them. I think of those kids at at Hogar. Um, Oh, God, and thank you uh, again as we get near the end of our service for bringing uh, Dirk and Eileen here to our church family. And Lord, just keep providing us, keep uh, supplying us with, with all, all the people that you intend to be here so that we can uh, do your great work and your great mission and hold each other accountable and encourage each other uh, to be on, on the path of life and to call others from the path of destruction. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.